new accessory. Is it is it his his new baby? Mm-hmm. Um and I have chosen the game especially for the podcast this week, themed. Um I don't recall Super Mario Brothers ever getting a uh, arcade version, but um probably did exist by the look of things. I would imagine so. I feel like it's Mario, it must have gone to arcades at some point. This is a very, this is an arcade emulator on this thing. And sorry for, for people who are listening and not watching, I have bought myself an arcade cabinet um, yeah. and it has over 3,500 games on it. And I was quite surprised to find, as I said, Super Mario is on it because it's Brothers. And this week we are talking about Brothers. We are. And that's a very good segue, professional segue. Um, yes, ladies and gentlemen, this week we have got a few topics of conversation to go through. We are doing my final three, uh, final of the three uh, chain movies. We are stopping off in Ryan Johnson's The Brothers Bloom territory. I've been looking forward to having an excuse to go back and watch it. And Travis finally had to watch it for the first time. Um, we will find out what is happening next for our chain movies, because I don't know. Um I'm going to be talking about, uh, well, Travis and I are both going to be talking about a few first few episodes of The Boys Season 2, and then Travis will talk about Challenger, The Final Flight on Netflix, and I will talk a little bit, there's not much to say about it, all honesty, some spoilers there, bad boys for life. So, let's get straight on into it and talk about The Brothers Bloom, shall we? Certainly. Now, this is one of your favourite films, correct? Yeah. Um, and what I'm interested in, and maybe it's a good place to start, is what do you love about this film? Because it is just pure joy. It is. There's nothing phenomenal happening at all throughout the whole film. It's a fairly um, obvious kind of storyline, but all of the actors, everyone involved in this, is clearly just enjoying themselves and having a good time, and I can't help but go on that ride with them. Um, similarly, for anyone who watched the generally appalling remake of The Lady Killers with Tom Hanks, that movie was awful, but um, Tom Hanks as the the, the colonel and um, fuck, uh, the guy who played J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, uh, is it J.K. Simmons? Yeah, J.K. Simmons. Um, those two, when you watch it, they're having a blast. They're just really enjoying themselves. And in spite of the rest of the movie, I really enjoy that. Whereas with The Brothers Bloom, I also appreciate everything else that's going on around these just enjoyable performances. I don't know if Mark um, Ruffalo has ever been um, as, quite as charming and charismatic as he is in this role. Adrian Brody is his typical um, kind of moody... Um, introspective yeah I guess that's the best way of putting it introspective kind of character but he's still kind of approachable and um, Rachel Wise is just an absolute darling I love it a bit and she's just charming and wonderful uh, Rinko is brilliant as Bam Bam just really good fun she does so much with with nothing it's all through her physical acting and just looks It's all, she almost does it's Possibly going to sound derogatory, but Gromit from the Wallace and Gromit series, where he said the dog says nothing, but it's all through his expressions. And well, you're sort of going act- back to the tradition of silent theatre there. You know, so, yeah, Charles Jack on Buster Keaton didn't have the luxury of talking. 
Yeah, exactly. And they, uh, she does so bloody good in with with what she has it's wonderful robbie coltrane is just a delight as the belgian um every everything is just kind of almost borderline pantomime fun and that's kind of what it is because the the whole premise of it is everyone getting what they want um through outlandish circumstance that is manufactured i guess and I just thoroughly enjoyed that. Do you um, enjoy it as much now as you did the first time you watched it? Does it hang in there for you? Um, it's not as impressive of an overall director slash story project. I think that that um, the con movie and that element of is this real, is this not, was... Is, a, is an area that Ryan Johnson likes to play in. And I think that going back to this after his um, stuff with Knives Out and even the the way, the type of story he was trying to tell with The Last Jedi and um, Looper as well, I think that he is consistently refining his talents and getting better every time. But this is like kind of going back to... Um, you know, it's a, I think it's a different skill level, but going back to early Chris Nolan stuff, like following and Memento, it's like it's raw, it's unrefined quality stuff. And going back to it now, it's like, yeah, I can still see that it's great, but he has improved. He's worked out the kinks in in uh, his his idea of how he tells a story. And it's similar with Ryan Johnson. I think he's not quite as good a, of a director as Chris Nolan, but Chris Nolan is kind of a rare case ryan johnson is incredibly talented and i think this is something that um it's very near and dear to my heart because i got to meet him and got to see it at very early stages but i still think it holds sway as this is a quality film overall it's not a perfect movie it's not a phenomenal movie in any respect but it is a damn enjoyable one in my opinion um, I didn't like it. Um, uh, that's a shock, I know, um, and I'm sure <laughs> the bookies will be paying out big time tonight. It's probably a strong thing to say I didn't like it. I struggled mm. with this on a number of levels. I don't know what this film is supposed to be. Um, okay. The tone of the film is very strange and confused for me. Um, is okay. it supposed to be a comedy? Because I didn't yeah. laugh once. Um, uh, is it supposed to be? It's supposed to be a con movie. Is it supposed to be tense? I was never on the edge of my seat. Um, if I had a a word for the overall vibe of a film that I had while watching it, that word would be smug. <laughs> You're it's, not the only person to use that as a descriptor for it. It's kind of reminding me of a Wes Anderson film. Uh, That's fair. Yeah. It, it kind of reminded me of something like the Royal Tenenbaums, like yeah. another alleged comedy. Which isn't that they just Everything was so good about it that they just forgot to put the jokes in at the end of the day. Like, I mean, oversight, I'm all right. Um, like, who <laughs> would have thought that a comedy is supposed to be funny? No, no. Uh, yeah, it's sort of dull. Um, and I, I don't like, I like some of Wes Anderson stuff. I, I didn't like the Royal Tenenbaums in particular. I thought that was smug. You know, look at me. I don't clever. I wrote the script and I got all these big stars to be in my movie about a bunch of boring, depressing people. Um, but, this kind of felt the same way. Like, I mean, it's just like I was struggling with, like, what is going on in this film? Not like it was stories confusing, but 
what am I supposed to be feeling here? What, what am I supposed to think of these people? Like the introduction of um, uh, Rachel Visa's character of, you know, uh, when she's driving a Ferrari or whatever it is, and she smashes into a wall. Mm. And then, you know, two minutes later, it's getting towed away. And what, what, what am I supposed to make of this? Like, it looks like it's kind of set in the real world, but it doesn't feel like it's a real world movie. Um, it, it, a lot of it, you, you use a good word there. Pantomime was the word. It's a good one that sort of summed it up. Like the whole scene on the boat. Yeah. Like, you know, what's going on with that? Like, if there's a giant fucking live band on this tiny little boat going to Belgium and, you know, like, I was just, it disconnected me from the film because I was like, okay. I'm not jumping, I'm not seeing sucked into the story here because I'm sitting here going, what is this film? What is it trying to do here? Am I, am I you know, is it trying to look like a play on film? Uh, you know, is it in a you know, stage show? Because it's very stagey at, at times, um, like like someone had actually adapted a play. Hmm. Um, but um, at other times it kind of felt, you know, we're back in the real world again, you know, and you know, real world consequences now apply and we're actually, you know, real world considerations should be taken into account. Whereas, you know, five minutes ago, it felt like, you know, murder on a murder on the Nile or something like that on that boat. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that really kind of pulled me out of it because I found myself sitting here the whole time going, I don't know what, I don't know what Ryan wants me to think this film is. Um, and uh, interesting when you, you say he's got better and I, I, I see some similar, some connective tissue between this and Knives Out in the sense that, well, Knives Out is not a con movie. It's kind of a murder mystery movie. Mm. But I, these two films kind of, to me, feel like um, cousins uh, in that yeah. they're sort of old genre films that nobody makes anymore, <laughs> yet. heist films, you mm. know. Uh, straight ahead heist films. No one makes them anymore. It's got to have a twist. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, my God, they're all women. You know, uh, what a, what a <laughs> mind blown. Um, you know, uh, but... Whereas, you know, Knives Out was kind of a murder mystery film. Again, that's something mm. maybe harkens back to the, the 40s or 50s as well. Um, but, again, he's just sort of put a he's sort of nice modern polish on that and, and an interesting twist on the end of Knives Out there. If you haven't seen that one, get around mm. to it. Um, but this one, yeah, I guess it was a big That kind of had that twist ending at the end with sorts. Um, yeah. uh, but, yeah, so I can see with Kennedy Tee, like this is a, maybe I don't know anything about Ryan Johnson. Um mm. But maybe he's he's a bit like George Lucas in a way, who grew up watching old oh, movies, old yeah. movies, and kind of wanted to do his own version of them. And and you know now Ryan's doing something similar, except he he didn't grow up watching Flash Gordon. He grew up watching, mm. you know, uh, whatever inspired. I kind of for sort of you know film noir stuff, you know, double indemnity, yeah. that kind of stuff. And not that his films are noirish, but you know that kind of mystery story that he's he's taken mm. on and doing his own version of in these. And, and I think you're right. He's got a lot better at it because I, I, I knew ex- Knives Out knew exactly what it was. I, I don't know what the brothers Bloom, and maybe this is why it wasn't successful. I uh, think that that's possibly the problem. And yeah, to your point of this was a, a flop, a, a general flop, and it didn't get very highly rated at, uh, by critics. It's got, I won't say it's a cult favorite um, at at all, but it's got a group of fans. I'm one of them. But I think the the hardest part of this movie is con movies have been notoriously tricky to elicit true emotion and that willingness to drop in because any kind of con movie, when you go into it knowing it's a con movie as an audience, you're always... 
there's that part of you that wants to work it out beforehand. So you're never fully invested in it. Um, that's where the murder mystery kind of comes in a little bit more because you get to join in that detective and try and work it out. And you learn things as he learns them. You come up with your own theories. This, I would say, is a romantic con movie um, because it not only is it a romantic uh, a romance story between these two um, highly underdeveloped, socially inept characters of Bloom and um, Rachel Weisz's character, but it's also um, a, a romance of an old style of con, uh, of con movie like this, uh, The Sting. And um, fuck, the name's completely gone out of my head, but sort of like almost like those Humphrey Bogart style, that era of cinema. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's part of the problem is it's like, okay, it's a romance movie, but not, we, we don't know who, if, if any of this is actually real or not. And that it puts everyone on, on step. If you, it's really hard to not kind of get involved and get, frustrated like you think of the famous romance movies um any anything with tom hanks meg ryan you know sleepless in seattle you get frustrated with them because you want them to get together whereas this there's not that level of frustration of oh just get fucking together it's okay lots of things are happening i don't quite know what's going on are they they're just conning her is is his brother conning him what uh and you just end up getting confused and without I feel like the biggest flaw that it did with its storytelling was not create this storyteller element of Mark Ruffalo's character, where he is described a few times, a handful of times, of sort of like writing his cons like the way dead um, Russian poets wrote epics and things like that. So like, you never really see him doing that. And I feel like if the story was more from his perspective, I feel like it would be better. It's almost like him kind of playing chess with these, all these different players. But I wonder if that would have given away the twist of everyone getting what they want at the end. Yeah, so, the, twist, the twist was weak, though. I mean, the twist was it was weak. Um, um, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe the reason it was weak for me is because by the end I didn't give a shit. Uh, and mm. I was completely checked out. I just wanted this to be be over. Uh, it's mm. too it's too long. There's too much going on. And as you said, there's not enough for me connective story tissue to mm. use that phrase again. And you've made a good example there. So mm. I'm thinking of heist films I've enjoyed in more recent years, and the, some of the Guy Ritchie films. Um, mm. You know, they're action heist films, but they are you know lock stock. I think mm -hmm. at least was a go back a very long time now. Yeah. Um, the, the oceans films. Uh, there's there's definitely ones, yeah. But I mean, those ones are kind of they're a different kind of heist film in the sense they're just sort of pure escapist fun. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, and you're right. Maybe maybe Ryan wasn't trying just to tell a heist film as you sort of say. He wanted the romantic story to have as much weight in the in it as, as the mm -hmm. heist did. But I think something needs to drive the story, the narrative forward. And mm. the romance really wasn't, for me anyway, doing that. It was just mm. kind of every time we had a, a Rachel V's, Adrian Brody loves the romantic scene, interest level dropped to zero for me. Um, you know, Obviously, others may have felt differently. Um, but I feel like the, the heist, maybe the heist story should have been a bit stronger to drive it forward. And as you said, 
I was sort of expecting to see more of that story coming through, whereas it, it was very much a supporting player. I think it was almost like oh, yeah. we got a romance and sometimes to do high shit. Well, it's it's not never really a heist because um, it's 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 a con movie, and um, I think that con movies and heist movies, especially after the success of the Oceans movies and um, the action orientation of so many heist movies now, and um, even looking at things like Now You See Me and Now You See Me Too, they're con movies, heist movies. They're kind of playing fast and loose with it it has kind of redefined the genre of a heist movie and a con movie. I don't know if you'd be able to, I don't know if you could make a blockbuster con movie anymore that is an old school con movie. You know, like, I mean, um, The Sting, I said it before, is a phenomenal, phenomenal film. Absolutely love it. Robert Redford and... Um, Fuck Paul Newman. Newman, thank you. Yeah, um, absolutely on fire. Robert Shaw, fantastic as the bad guy. No, I've um, never seen it. You've never seen it? No. Oh, it's delightful. You probably hate it. Ah. Honestly, you probably hate it. Um, but That's possible. I do hate a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> you're, 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 it did surprise me this film in one sense because hmm. I thought I'd inherited your superpower for a minute because, like, I was <laughs> so 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 sure. That this was going to be a, a, a smug art house, dirty rotten scoundrels. Um, okay. Parts of it kind of was, but I mean, I was I was just expecting it to be the big twist to be that mm. Rachel Vice was scamming, conning them the whole time they were conning her. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, in a way, I was pleased that it didn't do that because that would have mm. been that would be very obvious because that mm. film's been done a couple of times now. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, it's um, it, it kind of. Oh yeah, stuff was happening, but you know, and you know what? The other film is kind of reminded me of, and this is going to be uh, controversial, I suspect. Okay, Hudson Hawk. I can see that. That, like, like we said, that kind of pantomime world. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can kind of get that. My head, and plus, I mean, and to films negative. I'm sorry to say, but one of the criticisms. I mean, Hudson Hawk had a lot of problems, and it was a lot worse than this film. <laughs> but one of the problems of Hudson Hawk was stuff just could have kept happening. Yeah. And it'd be like, and almost like if they'd written a script, it's like set piece, set piece, set piece, set piece. Mm. And then she bothered to actually connect the set pieces. Mm. So uh, not very well anyway, but the connections were weak. Mm. Um, and, and at times it felt like that for me, not again, nowhere near to the same degree as Hudson Hawk. Mm. But as I said, the connections between the cool ideas that we have this really cool bit in Prague where stuff explodes and, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it didn't really, it sort of things just seem to keep happening. Yeah. And, and I never really, the why things are happening was weak and I'd, hence I didn't care. That's fair. That's fair. No, I, I, I completely understand your, your, your disappointments with it. Um, it, it is definitely, I feel like it's it's the the big sophomore movie of Ryan Johnson where he kind of pushed a little bit further into that. Aren't I good? Aren't I clever? Haven't I done an amazing thing that it kind of forgot? Oh yeah, we're actually it all needs to fit. But um, for me, it was just a, a, a beautiful showcase of a lot of talent doing really enjoyable stuff. I just enjoy it. I don't. 
love it to the point of being my favorite movie because it just reinvents cinema or anything like that. It's just fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's perfectly legitimate to a Yoda film. And by no means am I sticking the boots in criticizing <laughs> you for liking this film because, yeah. um, you know, we all have um, things that we like and, you know, are controversial. Like, um, I'm sure I can't think of it got to my head, but there are films I'm sure I like that everybody says are shite. Um, <laughs> but by no means is everybody say this is shite. This is a, as you say, there are a lot of people out there for years who've been saying, oh, it's an overlooked classic. It's so good. It's such a shame it didn't get an audience. And you like, well, like I think now I, I can kind of see it. It's interesting to have seen it in the right. sense that I don't know if, I, if studio executives would have probably looked at this a little bit like Office Space. I remember when they you read about Office Space made in the late 90s, right. they were like, how do I sell this? What is this movie? It's a comedy. It's kind of, they, I heard it read somewhere, but it's a very sly comedy, Office yeah. Space. And sly is hard to sell. Yeah. Um, now I don't say Brothers Bloom is sly. It's I, I don't know what I would describe. Pantomime is a good word. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a lot of different things mm. in the one package. So exactly, I imagine it would have been difficult for um, people to come along and go, "How am I going to sell this to an audience? Is it do I sell it as a chick flick?" Yeah. And I have I asked my friends last week about that, and I got probably a nine to one response that it's an okay to use that term. So, okay. um, so uh, the, uh, is it is it a romantic comedy being targeted at a, you know, a date night audience, you know, or mm. is it a con movie? Do we market it as a con movie and we try and sell it to, I don't know, who whoever an audience for con movies are, there aren't many of them these <laughs> days. But, no. you know, um, do I try and sell it to the Guy Ritchie audience? Yeah. yeah. Um, or the Ocean's Eleven audience, you know, but it's because it's not really either of those things. Maybe that's mm. what made it difficult for people to sell yeah i I think that you're absolutely right it kind of purposefully defies genre a simple genre rating um it's it's not a romance movie it has got a romantic storyline it's not a con movie at all in the traditional sense of things because it's mark ruffalo's character effectively trying to con his brother into a into being happy with his life which that's a very lofty kind of crazy idea to make a con movie out of a the last time someone tried to do something crazy with a con movie um i don't know what that is maybe you could argue that potentially they tried a similar thing in inception where they're effectively conning Killian Murphy's character into making his own choice to 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 break up this um, huge conglomerate company, but then it's that notion is lost. It, it's not it's not really the main focus. It is the MacGuffin for them to go into these cool different action sequences, and it happens to tell an interesting story around Leonardo DiCaprio's character and how he's being haunted and that sort of stuff. This, I don't think it cares about any of that. Is it like, what? This, this is the story that I'm telling, and I don't really care if it has an audience because it's being made. Ta-da! <laughs> which, which, in a way, I, I can, I can support. Right? Mm. Um, the filmmakers should um, be able to tell the story they want to tell mm-hmm. um, without interference of going. Well, is it going to find an audience? Is it yeah. not going to find an audience? Am I going to be able to sell this? 
um, I'd be a much of a hypocrite if I said, no, 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 he should he should only make films as he thinks is going to be uh, popular with people because mm-hmm. that's how you end up with well, – how you end up in a horrible situation cinema <laughs> has been in over the last few years, um, mm. as a matter of fact. But, yeah, it's – I'm glad I've seen it now. I mean, as I sort of said, it can actually – Help me sort of see where Ryan's come from. I, I unlike you, I do not see any. I do not understand why they looked at the film like this. Maybe it was Looper that people saw and thought, "Hmm, he'd do good at the Star Wars movie." Um, I never thought he'd do good at a Star Wars movie. I feel like he is someone who can make a great story in any universe that he makes, but he tells his own stories. That's always the case with every single one of his movies. It's it's a Ryan Johnson joint. Um, Star Wars, him, getting him into into the middle of the franchise where no one had a plan on how they were going to end that saga. No, that's well, that's a stupid choice. In hindsight, it's a it, it's a bizarre. I'm not saying you said he would be great at a Star Wars. Right? Yeah. I'm thinking I'm talking about Kathleen Kennedy mm. and, and the guys at Lucasfilm. We're going out and you know it was him. It was JJ. It was him, and then it was um the guy who did Jurassic World. His name escapes me. Colin right Trevorrow. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, which is kind of what I'd always... I remember having conversations with people in the 90s going, wouldn't it be cool if they didn't have a Star Wars trilogy? But instead yeah. of this time, they just went out and they got it. The three most shit-hot directors in Hollywood, young, hot directors, you know, Kevin Smith, Quentin Tarantino, you know. Robert uh, Rodriguez, yeah. Or something, you know, like, actually, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see Rodriguez, but I'd like to see him do a Mandalorian. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, like, I mean, it would have been fascinating to see what Kevin did with a Star Wars movie. But, um... <laughs> it, it would see I, I think that they would have all done amazing stories in the star wars universe but for continuing and fin- ultimately finishing the saga of some of the most beloved cinematic characters of all time no you don't do that get jj abrams in because he is very good at updating and recycling 1980s ideas you want company, man. You want people who are going to tug the line, right? Yeah. You want, you want competent, talented people, t- company men, people who are who pull the party line. Ivan Kir- Irving Kirshner, right? Like, he's not mm-hmm. a particularly famous director, but you, like, you give him a story. Here's mm-hmm. the film you, the story you want to tell. You go and make a very good, competently directed story. Mm-hmm. You, you don't want you want Kevin Smith or Quentin Tarantino coming in, the guys who, who, who made their careers on doing their own thing. Exactly. Um, as opposed to, you know, uh, someone like Abrams who has absolutely no sense of creativity or originality in him at all. Joe um, Johnson is the perfect dialer director. He yeah, someone like that. Captain America, he did The Rocketeer. He goes in, he just makes movies that are the safest kind of paint-by-numbers things, and he gets it done, and if they make enough money to cover it, it's fine. That's that's what you need. I don't think Ryan is one of those guys. I think no. sort of said it, Ryan is striking me as as the kind of now having seen a few of his films is mm. the kind of director who is he maybe not to the same degree as someone like Quentin Tarantino, which is you know who is you sort of is quite your, is it, not just a great talent, but just very much he was very distinctive. Mm. I mean, you cannot watch one of his films and not know it's a Tarantino film. He can't yeah. not put himself in his films, right? Like, yeah, in, in a way, like all over the place. It's so distinctive. It's yeah. so trademarky. You know, like there's nothing you could that you couldn't not know it was one of his things. So, yeah. um, but you know, at the same time, Ryan has his own style and his yeah. own. He's tell, as you sort of say, if not, maybe his own style is telling his own story mm-hmm. and running. You know, telling a story that he thinks needs to be told. 
uh, and having the characters do what he thinks the characters should do. And mm. as you said, that's not what you want in the middle trilogy, the middle <laughs> the middle episode of the biggest trilogy on earth to, to wrap up the stories of the most my most beloved characters of all time. Yeah, and just add a just add a curveball that in a in a trilogy you don't have written out and. Yeah clearly planned about who's going where and doing what. So we shouldn't have got up into Star Wars. It's just going to keep going for years. It's going to be like World War Z all over again. But um, <laughs> it's funny watching this again. I don't know how anybody could look at this and go, he's the man we want to pull the company line and, and yeah. just make, make the middle chapter of our sequel. Like, no, maybe. I'm yeah. surprised that even he was interested in doing it, um, Fincher, because he had such a infamously bad time with Alien 3. I'm shocked that he has ever worked on huge budget tentpole movies. And World War Z, it came out in a time when zombies were the hottest thing on the fucking planet. I, I just don't see him as the right director for that. He's a talented fucking director. A lot of talent involved, but who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I think all of us were surprised when his name was attached to World War Z too, but who knows if that'll happen now because of COVID. Yeah. But, um, yeah, maybe I know he gets along with Brad Pitt. True. Uh, work with your mates, you know. Um, yeah. Sometimes maybe he's getting divorced. Uh, yeah. I know when I saw John Cleese play in Melbourne last like, a few years ago, he called it his alimony tour. <laughs> he would make the joke every time. Like, what are you? Why are you doing this now at your age, John? I've got a next wife. <laughs> Uh, um, you know, there might be some people out there who think, oh, but there are um, sort of like really individual voice directors that can work in it. And Taika Waititi was a very good example of that with Thor Ragnarok. But then you look at everything else Thor involved in the MCU and it was uh, a safe first movie, atrocious second movie. They had no choice. They ha they had no choice but to say, okay, you know what? What we did last time didn't work, so let's do a one eighty. And they got a director in to to do that. And he was very fortunate. It was effectively a soft reboot of the character of Thor. But I think it also a couple of things there. One, you are Marvel in that instance, and you are coming off the greatest hot streak. In the history of hot streaks, probably. I mean, they have. I mean, even for Dark World, well, it wasn't. Great. I mean, you can call it atrocious. It was probably atrocious compared to most of Marvel's films, but it, it still, suspect, still made, still made money. Yeah. And like when, the, I mean, when they're shit at their worst films, they're still making decent money. Their best films are making billions of dollars yeah, total and making yeah. hundreds of millions in profit. You have a little bit more wiggle room to do weird shit, right? Yeah. Whereas your first Star Wars is coming off. A widely panned prequel, you know, trilogy that nobody really liked. Yeah, uh, uh, you've got the new companies taken over, mm -hmm. who everyone is skeptical about. You've done the first one; you've been okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, everyone was kind of like, "Yeah, okay, I'll buy the I'll buy the soft the soft remake mm -hmm. of the New Hope." But like, you know, you you are by no means with Star Wars in the same position. As Marvel, where it can go, I'm going to take a chance. They have That's a very lot, true. and and also, as I was gonna say, they actually—I I don't mean it would be interesting to know what came first, Taika or the vision of what Thor Ragnarok would be. We want to reboot Thor, or we want to do Thor as sort of a buddy cop style movie, and make 
play of the fact that Chris Hemsworth does comedy really fucking well. Yeah. Is that, I wonder if that came from, like, actually, we want to do a kind of a comedy, a bloody mm. comedy Thor movie, and let's go, hey, you know, Tyke, because Tyke's style, click, worked 100%. It just fit the character mm. and the story they wanted to tell. Now, if they went out to, if they just went out to market and they said, we like Taika Waititi. We really liked Hunt for the Wilder People. We liked what we do in the shadows. <laughs> Taika, if we gave you $150 million in a Thor movie, what would you do? Taika <laughs> uh, came, came back for pitch and said, this is what I do. And they go, done. I mean, yeah. basically, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it kind of worked so well yeah. for that, for that story. But Whereas if you come back, if you come in with like Thor the Dark Worlds type type story, and then yeah. said we're going to hire Taika Waititi to tell that story, then we'd all be like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, surely I had to go to Taika and say, "Pitch something to us." Yeah, because yeah, that's a that's a weird one. It's I'm get I'm curious to see what um, Love and Thunder is going to be like. So. Yeah. He's a, he's on a good streak right now. I mean, if you were to see Jojo Rabbit, that, that was pretty good. Not yeah, I do want to see that. Um, I'm interested. So I should, um, I've shocked no one by not being a huge fan of the Brothers Bloom, but we're going to move on <laughs> to a – we talked about it last week, but we were going to try and look at something maybe a bit spooky, a bit horror-related. Ooh. Ooh. And <laughs> I have got such a horror – uh, to 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 pick from now in our chain okay. movie, our chain we're going to follow the 1994 Brad DeRiff classic Death Machine. Death Machine. I've checked; it's on YouTube. I didn't put it there, but anyway. So Death Machine, uh, in which uh, uh, it made in 1994, as I said, in which uh, Rachel Vice plays the pivotal role of junior executive. <laughs> hey, that at least has, uh, it's, it's an officially credited role, whereas Lucas Haas was an uncredited person in the background of the um, party scene at the very start of the Brothers Bloom. <laughs> <laughs> and I figure uh, given it, it, next week, when you want to move sideways again, continue the chain after this, We've got plenty of room to move around in because if we're going to do some horror films in the lead up to Halloween, uh-huh. it's got Brad Dourif in it. Yeah, yeah. And, there, there's a, a gateway to many, and it's directed by Stephen Norrington, uh, who of okay. course best known for directing the uh, one of the more memorable horror films of the 20th century, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> no, he, he, also, he also worked on Blade. Yes, he did. And Alien 3, speaking of which. He did? He was the alien the alien creature effects for Alien 3. Oh, okay. But he, only, he directed Blade and he hasn't worked since he hasn't worked since the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So Well, that was an absolute nightmare. I, I mean the the set got flooded away in Prague. Um Sean uh Sean Connery was apparently really pissed off about everything. There was a lot of executive involvement. It's a nightmare one. Joe Blow, I know you're watching. Maybe what happened to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Because it's a cool idea for a story. I, mean, I haven't read the comic books, but it's a badass idea. The the comic is fucking brutal. I mean, um, not in the first volume, but I think it's in the second volume. The Invisible Man is 
fucked up and he rapes Mina Harker. And you find out that Mr. Hyde can actually see ultra, um, uh, see infrared and see, see heat signature. So he can see where the invisible man in and he rapes the invisible man to death. And he's sitting there at the, 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 the um, Mr. Hyde is sitting with, with the rest of the, the league around a table. And then suddenly all this blood just starts appearing on his body and they'll go, Oh my God, what's the matter? What's the matter? So, oh, that must mean he finally died. It's like, who? And he explains the situation. It's fucked up. It's a fucked up comic, man. <laughs> That's Alan Moore for you. I was going right to say, in. yeah. Um, he uh, he was a man with a unique vision. Mm-hmm. But seeing we're talking about fucked up heroes, thoughts mm. uh, and comic books, should we move on Let's to? Let's go to the boys. Yes. Now I am. I think three episodes into season two. Okay. Yep. Um. Now, I kind of had to be in the right mood to watch this because mm-hmm. this is not an easy watch, this show. No. Um, this is not the – he's saying your mum is just asleep. He's saying it's Super Friends. Yeah. Uh, so uh, as a recap for anybody who's been under a rock and hasn't got around to watching or missed all the buzz about the boys last year when the season one came out, a group of vigilantes sets out to take down corrupt superheroes who abuse their superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is also based on a comic book, a series of comic books, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, had you read the books before? No, uh, no, I hadn't. Um, I think it's a Warren Ellis um, comic book series. Um, he's Garth really Ennis? good. Garth Ennis, yes. Um, really good, really twists those genre types and... Um, never i don't think ever tells a story fit for young kids it's always um like uh usually a very violent and there's a lot of subtext in everything that he writes and the first season of this i think really hit it out of the park it was a great great show mm-hmm. and uh so far few episodes into season two they have done away with the su- subtlety of jabs and things they are so fucking blatant with a lot of their things <laughs> it really is. I was a bit like, I'm like, where do you go after that so first season? And in season one, we meet our we meet our sort of our, our main protagonist, um, Huey Campbell, mm-hmm. played by Jack Quaid, mm-hmm. uh, as he's walking down the street with his girlfriend, wife, partner. I can't remember exactly. Girlfriend, yeah. Girlfriend, and she takes half a step off the footpath before she basically disintegrates. In one yeah. of the most brutal scenes I think I've seen in a television show, streaming or otherwise, it was. In your face, yeah. Uh, and in Jack's face. <laughs> uh, um, basically, what's happened is she was um, uh, hit. Well, essentially, uh, she was run into by A Train, who is a superhero. Is basically a parody of a Flash, mm-hmm. um, and he is running down the street. And basically, by moving at the speed, is he basically disintegrates her. Mm. Um, Huey basically basically turns Huey against this world of superheroes. It is superheroes, and he ends up connecting with Carl Urban's character Billy Butcher, mm-hmm. and joins this group of vigilantes aiming to sort of take down this world's version of the Justice League, known as the Seven, mm-hmm. which are corporate superheroes. So they're superheroes that work for a giant corporation who basically then loans them out to various cities around the world. Yeah. 
Um, and the, as the, as the uh, as synopsis sort of indicates, they are insanely corrupt and horrible people. Um, mm-hmm. we, we are integrated into their world via um, the character of Starlight, um, played by Aaron Moriarty, who is a new joint, newly joined the, mm-hmm. the Seven. And she's kind of our, our wide-eyed, innocent person who is, you know, not as corrupt as uh, the world she's entering and is shocked. Her first experience of the Seven is to basically be sexually assaulted by um, their version of Aquaman, the Deep. Yeah. Um, what, what I think, so that's, this, and, the, and the season one was sort of all about them trying to sort of uh, hurt the superheroes and track down calm Billy Butcher's wife, which they do at the mm-hmm. end of season one. I won't spoil what happens at that mm-hmm. point because there is a bit of a cool little twist, and I guess there's a possibility our, our Russian bot friends may not have got around to seeing it yet. I <laughs> strongly recommend checking it out if you haven't. Um, season two, some of the things that's interesting to note straight away is that where we had Starlight started coming in, as I sort of said, being our wide-eyed, innocent, uh, you know, voice of the audience almost, mm-hmm. um, coming in to explore the world of a seven, she's become a lot more cynical and a lot, a lot darker character in in the first few episodes of season two. Wouldn't you agree? Um, embittered, <laughs> definitely. She is. Um, I feel like. Because I th- I've I've watched a few more episodes of season two. I have watched the first five, and um, she is deaf. There is no one in the sh- in the show that is particularly hopeful. No, there's few no, people are redeemable, right? Everyone yeah. is a shade of grey. Yeah, and you. She's still kind of like the audience's best hope for hope, but it's you just look at all of the other storylines going on around her, involving her, affecting her um, immediately or after the fact, and you just kind of look at it and go, all right, there is no way this show can end nice. It's not going to be a happy ending. No, definitely not. And it kind of, for me, it kind of colours the the watching experience a little bit. It's it's not so much okay. What's the roller coaster they're going to put me on now? It's for me. It's okay. What fucked up shit am I going to witness? And I'd like a little bit more than that. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess I don't view it the same way in the mm-hmm. sense that, but I think it's maybe it highlights the fault line between the kind of things that I enjoy and the kind of things you enjoy. Mm. Um, I enjoy about this show is that it feels real uh, in the sense, not superheroes. Yeah. But <laughs> like, if you, um, in the same way that say I enjoyed the Damon Lindelof series Watchmen earlier in the year, um, which is also a show about the deconstruction of a superhero myth character uh, genre. What do you want to call it? Um, I like to think that if if superheroes did exist, they'd probably look a lot like the Seven and Vought Corporation. Uh, and whereas I think a classic superhero of a film like something like The Avengers is 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 almost the Star Trekky version of what superheroes would look like if they existed in our world, right? This utopian vision of, you know, you know, working for the good of humanity when 
people are inherently corrupt, cynical, uh, and greedy. Uh, so, you know, um, to the varying degrees. So um, the idea of them all working together and, the, you know, to, to, it's one yeah, force to help humanity is, yeah, unrealistic to me. I'm I, I'm not against the deconstruction of the superhero at all. I find that that's really compelling, and I love the fact that there aren't really any heroes in this. And there's like the protagonists of this show. That's very nebulous for me because the boys they're not actually in that in this that much, and a lot of shit happens to them through reasons. And it's like, okay, let's just ride with the boys so that I can invest more time into them and build up more of that they're doing really fucked up shit, but look at who they're doing it to. They are they are a proxy hero. But I feel like there there isn't one. It, it's just... I, th- I think I feel like the show should be the fucked up <laughs> because everyone's kind of fucked up. And it's like, well, here's a different version. Here's another one. Here's another one. This one's a psychopath. This one has superpowers. This one does not. They're all going to kill you. It doesn't really matter. That's reality though, right? Like nobody yeah. is, no, is, everybody's working towards doing their own sort of thing for their own reasons. Um, there are no purely good people. Um, yeah. But I mean, I even just, just there's there's no one that in it like the the boy. I personally, I just feel like the boys haven't give, been given enough time to kind of um, build up a rapport with me. Really, like the character of Mother's Milk. So, okay, yep, he's got a wife and kids, but why is he doing this? Is he? Didn't we oh, do all that last season? We did all oh, that. Really? Last- uh, we did most of it, right? We got to know him as much as we needed to. I mean, like, we, we, we know who these people are now, so we don't think we need to spend character a whole lot of character development time now because we know who their characters are, the important ones. You're right, Frenchie and, and Mother's Milk are supporting characters, so we're not spending as much time on them, at least yet. Um, but, and, and, you know, I, I, will, I will pay it that sometimes their motivation is a bit nebulous this year because, well, I mean, kind of, well, I want to get my wife back. Uh, I guess where where it, where it kind of falls for me is that like you've got the Superman character Homelander, mm. who is essentially fucking invulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like, the other part of me goes, why does he take orders from anybody? Um, <laughs> and parts of his show actually for me uh, start to veer into the territory where something like Brightburn should have been playing. Um, you know, or that that, that fantastic mm-hmm. idea. That Zack Snyder ha- idea he had for just um, Dawn of Justice, an idea he actually decided to either he or somebody got rid of. Um, <laughs> that um, you know, that line from 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 uh, Bruce Wayne in that film, if he's, if there's a one percent chance he's our enemy, we have to treat it as a one hundred percent certainty. Mm. Um, and I really liked that idea. Mm. Like you know, what would you do if Superman went fucking nuts? And that was what was cool about the idea of Dawn of Justice, which they never did anything with. Um, but, you know, again, we're suddenly in that territory now. What if Homelander decided he just wanted to go nuts and fucking listen to nobody? He could. Um, and I, I mean, maybe they'll resolve that at the end of the season. But part of it sometimes it just feels like what the boys are doing is fiddling in the weeds, right? Like you're 
not really making a huge difference to the people you said to oppose, and I don't understand how they think they will. Mm. That's that's my my thing. Is like, okay, how are you going to resolve this? Um, because what I fear is they're going to just build up. Um, what's his fucking name again? Uh, Homelander to this monstrous level and kind of paint themselves into a corner and do exactly the same thing that happens in every fucking superhero story where the bad guy is so powerful and is so unstoppable that the heroes have there's there's basically no hope in hell of them doing it so the bad guy then has to become an anti-hero and they just bring in another character that's like oh is the evil clone twin version of you it got the same powers blah de, blah de, blah and they're even worse so hey on a scale of things homelander's not actually so bad is he and i i worry that they're going to do something like that because no one in the boys is going to be able to take him down because they've not shown any cohesion as a unit they've not shown any particular ability to execute a plan and it's they're supposed to go against essentially a god. And they have no superpowers. I mean, yeah. if I can give a huge spoiler alert to anybody listening who doesn't spoilers. want to, spoilers in the chat as well. Spoilers. I'm going to spoil something that happens at the end of season two and an event in early season. Sorry, the end of season one and an event that happens early in season two, but I think might influence what happens towards the end of this season. That's probably not a huge shock if you've actually seen it. But spoilers, um, I suspect it's going to be Homelander's son's going to play a very large role in his downfall. Oh, I hope not. I really hope not. Whenever they bring in kids, it's never good. The only one that has successfully done it is um, Daphne Keane as Weapon X in Logan. I thought kind of like what Brian Singer did with it in Batman Superman Returns. I know again. Yes, I'm, you've got some weird delusion about that movie. It's fine. I like <laughs> that movie, and I kind of like it. Kind of get their powder dry for a really <laughs> long time in that film until that one kind of scene at the end where he pushes the piano, and you're like, because you didn't even know he was Superman's son. Um, but anyway, um, that was just my vibe. Is that like there was that scene in season two where he is threatening. The kid's mum and the kid like gets all fired up and shit. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that could be that. Could that be that's the other out. other way that they're going to do it. It's. I think it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be the progeny or the other one. You know, the sort of like <laughs> like almost telenovela style. Oh my god! I thought you died. You didn't know that I had a twin brother when I was born, and you've got the same powers as me. <gasps> be hilarious if it was um the same actor but wearing a mustache like david hasselhoff <laughs> in night rider i would be so happy if that happened that would be amazing that has not been done in so long in yeah. traditional uh, in in english speaking tv i i would just love that <laughs> it would be hilarious uh um but like i mean it's it's good telly for me it's like it's really well made the the uh the show must cost a fortune to make because it looks amazing um it's dark which is really me i'm kind of enjoying uh the the new character who's just joined uh stormfront mm -hmm. uh in the sense that she's instantly like you're not quite sure which side of the fence she's falling on but the, the last episode i watched um 
became pretty freaking clear. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. they they did a uh, a gender bend on Stormfront apparently from the comics. Apparently, in the comics, Stormfront is a guy. Um, that's all I know. But um, yeah, she does a really good job, and she's a, an interesting. So far, she's been an interesting fly in the ointment of the seven let alone um in in the in the boys plans and um there's a fantastic chase sequence that involves her that um and the and the boys and it's really well done it's one of the best action chase sequences on tv that i've seen in a very long time um, i also like that they don't skimp on the mm. content in the sense mm. that I've said this before in a show, but so many shows now, like look at sure the last season of Black Mirror had like three episodes, basically a season three hours of telly, and you're like, really, guys, three <laughs> hours? Like an episode for for uh, these guys is probably you know fifty minutes to an hour, ten minutes of telly, mm. and there are, I mean, if you're making eight episodes a season, you can get away with it. that's it's you know it's it's over you know. Um, that's you know eight you know one hour episode no eight you know eight nine hours of television mm. it's a lot it's enough to sell a pretty good story and announce like if you, so if you're not skimping out on on content where you know all the shows want to make very very short seasons these days and so mm. i'm liking that it's a meaty sized episode that i get to sink my teeth into that's fair that's fair uh, but i've i'm been still recommending it to heaps of people Oh, no, I'm absolutely – I would recommend it to people. I think it is worthy viewing. Um, I just think that there are certain types of people that will not like it because it is not your your typical – like there is not that um, – where uh, Shay recently finished watching her way through Buffy the Vampire Slayer again. This is almost counter-programming to something like that where – you do know that overall, the good guy's going to win. In this one, no good there guys. Are, there are no good guys. Well, no, you're right. I, mean, I, I was recommending some colleagues at work recently, and I was just saying, if you have a problem with graphic violence, mm. don't watch it. If you have a problem with foul language, don't watch it. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, trigger warnings, sexual assault, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Uh, if you, yeah, um, you're just a very sensitive person. Yeah. Don't watch it. It's probably not for you. Yep. Gore. Don't watch it. Probably not for you. Yeah. Uh, if you suffer from extreme anxiety, don't watch it. It's probably not for you. Uh, I know it's just, you know, it's why people watch old shows. Like they rewatch a show like that again and again and again because it's a comfort, right? You know what's happening. Yeah. So um, this is not a comforting TV show. No. Um, but then again, that's kind of what I like. I don't like, well, uh, Every every thing has its place, right? But like, <laughs> uh, if you're looking most of the time, if I'm I'm not going to be looking for something comforting, and I'm going to look something that's going to uh, challenge me a little bit. And yeah, I get the best of both worlds. I got superheroes, which I like, and I get challenging TV together yeah. at last. <laughs> well, it's definitely not going to be getting that combination from the MCU or DCEU anytime soon. Yeah, about DCEU, they're taking a few risks here and there now. They're taking they're taking more risks and going a bit more mature than MCU. I'll give you that. And technically, yes, Watchmen is a DC property, but it's not a, not in the cinematic DCEU universe yet. At the very least, it, they are folded into the rest of the DC 
extended universe in comics and stuff, but you get my meaning. A Joker was pretty challenging. Though. Joker was pretty challenging cinema. Yeah, that's fair. So that's that's fair. Kind of, I, I'm happy they keep pumping out stuff at uh, at that level, but either way, we're going to be waiting a very, very long time before we see anything new from yeah. either of those studios just because of um, COVID. Absolutely. We know we're going to see bloody Black Widow this year or not. We may. I mean, um, reports coming in of uh, the success of Mulan's digital release on Disney Plus, um, and I can only imagine that the next D- uh, MCU movie would probably do even bigger money than a Mulan remake. <laughs> uh, it's I don't think it's quite as controversial as some of the things that went on with Mulan and. England have said, but speaking True. a little on Marvel, did you see the trailer for WandaVision this week? I did, I don't care. You didn't find that at all interesting? Not really, no. Wow, I think you need to go get yourself checked for a pulse because that looks really, really fascinating to me. Like, it looks really different. It looks really different, which is great, um, but I don't really care about either of those characters. So it's yeah. like, all right, I'll wait to see more. I, I, there was nothing in that trailer that put me off. There was intrigue, but it's like, okay. It, it would be like being told there's a compelling story about David Cameron, former British PM. I don't care. I don't yeah, care I, about him at all. True. If, if someone's going to tell me a cool story um, and they show me a trailer, yeah. and yeah. cool story is promised in an intriguing way, I'd be like, oh, you got me. Okay. Cool story is promised, you say. What's the story? Uh, it got hinted at, shall I say? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I don't really, I don't really know what the story is. I, I'm not really. Um, Marvel's got the runs on the board, mm. um, so True. it just. Uh, I in Marvel we trust. Uh, they get it right nine times out of ten. They are to go back. What we're talking about Thor. They're in a space mm-hmm. where they can take wild chances now because True. it's going to Disney Plus. People in the middle of a fucking pandemic, you're going to sign up for a watch for it anyway. Mm-hmm. So, okay. yes, they are two of their less well-rounded well out characters, so potentially this is an opportunity to learn a little bit more about them, uh, mm-hmm. to give them a little bit more meat on the bone, um, which is interesting that they're doing out in television because I also saw that they're, they're um, saying that uh, Winter Soldier and the Falcon will be going to Disney Plus as well next year. I think that was always the plan because I thought it was a miniseries. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm just saying that the other two characters, there was another two characters who aren't particularly well fleshed out. True. Who are now going to get, I don't know, nine, eight, nine, ten hours of story mm. in their own series. Whereas, you know, Iron Man's had what, three movies and three Avengers movies and he's been kind of a main star and Cap's had the yeah. same and Thor's had three movies, he's getting four. So, uh, you know, the, the, the lesser, the fringe members. I mean, I wonder if we're going to do. I don't know if I've read it, but they should do something with Hawkeye because he, he needs a story now. He's got a lot to tell. Um, I'm curious to see, you know, if if they have this success with Wandavision, um, there's a Loki TV show that's coming. There's this Falcon and, um, uh, yeah. Um, I wonder if they're going to be able to actually. St- tell more compelling stories. I mean, they've also read, now this is not necessarily going to be immediately evident, but they've now, I think, got the rights back to, like, Iron Fist and Luke Cage and... If not now, very soon, yeah. Like, very, very, like, in the, in the, the this month kind of thing, they get the yeah. rights back 
to those characters. And um, we know that they real Kevin Feige wasn't real hot on the Netflix universe. Mm. Uh, it'd be interesting to see, you know, now they've got their hands back on pretty much all their shit, except for, you know, Venom and the rest of that Spider-Man world. Yeah. Uh, and I think She-Hulk. I mean, they're doing a She-Hulk, though, so it must have a Yeah, right Tatiana Maslany is uh, going to be She-Hulk, so interesting. So it's pretty much they've got all their shit back in play now, so mm. uh, it's a pretty sweet spot for them to be in. But I, I looked, liked the look of WandaVision. It looked fascinating, like they're doing something really quite interesting uh, but, we, we, and different with those characters. It didn't look like one of those Netflix series, which were okay <laughs> at best, but um, it, it really kind of looked, oh, okay, it's something different here. Fair. Now, let's change the topic. I want to hear about, well, uh, start talking about Challenger, the final flight. I will be back in just a moment. Ah, uh-huh. okay. Well, Challenger, the final flight is a new Netflix uh, mini series, uh, which I think has uh, landed in the last couple of weeks. Um, I managed to smash the entire uh, four episodes on Saturday this week because it was just grab me and it wouldn't let go. Um, so the uh, uninitiated amongst us um, who are maybe a little young, maybe you're Gen Y, you're a millennial, Gen Z, uh, who don't remember Challenger. Challenger was a one of the early uh, space shuttles that uh, unfortunately uh, exploded uh, during takeoff uh, in 1986, killing the, uh, the crew on board, unfortunately. Um, now that's obviously quite a, I guess, an interesting story on its on its own. Where it does get really interesting is when you sort of start to dig beneath the surface of um, why it exploded, what actually happened, what went on, um, and it um, really starts to uncover a a pretty scandalous story about um, the culture at NASA. Uh, the sort of the culture of their sort of their contractors, um, and you know the the attitudes of some of the people involved in the uh, in the decisions around launching the space shuttle. Um, so uh, uh, to boil it down, essentially, what what actually went wrong was um, inside the rocket booster. There is something basically a rubber ring. It goes around part of the actual rocket booster called the O ring. Um, and in very, very cold temperatures, that ring um, can shrink. And, and uh, in this instance, this is actually the coldest space shuttle launch had ever done. The ring shrunk, the, the rocket failed, and uh, it blew up and killed everybody. Um, the thing is that they knew or should have known that it was going to happen. Uh, there were numerous warnings. They were told, don't launch a number of times by engineers from the contractor who built the rockets. Um, there had been previous incidents on other flights where the, the ring had um, burned through. So there'd been safety incidents in previous flights about this. There'd been warnings from their engineers not to go, and they went anyway. They, they launched despite these warnings, despite the actual previous incidents. And, of course, it, it ended up exploding uh, and killing everybody. Um, so at a high level... Why did they go ahead with it? What what was the kind of driving force for them? Was there they had, a, they had a they had a schedule? Okay, wow. They, a, they, they launch at all costs. There was there were a number of different elements at play here. It's sort of saying 
that the culture of NAFTA was was part of a problem. Right. Um, uh, they had this culture of we're NASA, we're the best and the brightest, we're renegades, and you know we've always been successful in the past. We put a man on the goddamn moon, right? Yeah. Um, so that is that that part was part of our culture, that sort of you know cowboy sort of culture. We were always successful. We're NASA. At the same time as the launch at any cost, you may, you know, uh, we should launch. Yeah, but the fault point of view should be we're launching unless you give me a really good reason not to. Mm. You know, and that was sort of a culture. And they, we've got a schedule we've got to keep. We got to, they, they were set out to, to launch some ridiculous number of times using they thought the space shuttle would be able to launch that heaps, and then, you know, I don't know, 40, 50 times a year or something like that. Uh, maybe I'm not giving the numbers right. They thought it was going to launch a lot more than it really was. Mm. Um, and if they didn't, there was a fear that maybe they would lose their funding. And, it, you know, well, why are we funding this thing? The shuttle's not as successful as you thought it was. Mm. So all of these things sort of come into the, 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 the mix of, you know, the culture at NASA, which was launch at all costs. The engineer said it's too cold, don't launch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they basically pushed back at them and said, no, I think you're wrong. Go away. Come back with some more information. And they, they, yeah, the engineers were overruled in a way by management to say, no, just do it. Um, and it was such a, a, a rubber ring inside the rocket booster mm-hmm. that, that, that failed and that's what killed them all. Um, this show, so there's a few. So obviously, it's a four uh, four episode uh, mini series. So there's a lot of different stuff until we meet a lot. We learn a lot about the astronauts who are on the shuttle. This was a very not- notable launch because this involved the first civilian being set into space. Um, the cool. teacher uh, called Krista McAuliffe was mm-hmm. uh, was um, being the first teacher in space, and it was it's actually a little bit like the Simpsons episode where oh, people are losing interest in the space program. Let's go and get some normal people to come, and that would like. To sort of, you know, that's instantly where my head went. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 actually what happened. They actually did it for that. Row. They wanted to get people interested in the space program again, and they thought, well, if we get like a um a civilian a teacher involved, then mm. that'll be there was a significantly higher degree of public interest in this launch. And if there was a rumor going around, but apparently the next launch, if this one had been successful, would have been to put a kid in space. Um, oh shit! Okay, who knows what would have happened with that? Um, so we do spend a lot of time. Um, yeah, learning about Krista in particular, she's kind of, I guess, the focal point because I guess, you know, I mean, the other guys were, you know, military mostly. So as horrible as it was that they passed away, but I mean, you do take a little bit more of a risk when you are in the military, I guess. Um, yeah. But uh, what's really special about this show? I mean, the reason it's interesting to me is I remember Challenge. That's how fucking old I am. I can remember it. <laughs> uh, and I remember because I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid. And this was kind of really big news, obviously, at the time. Like, you know, this, kind of, this wasn't what put me off being an astronaut, by the way. Someone once told me, well, if you're going to be an astronaut, you need to be really good at maths. And I'm like, oh. So I, guess <laughs> I guess I'm not going to be an astronaut then. Um, <laughs> I think it was supposed to encourage me to do better at maths. In the end, I just went, yeah, I suck at it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> um, and now I, like, I, I can't even watch First Man, the Ryan Gosling Neil Armstrong film without re- feeling incredibly anxious at the <laughs> space flight scenes. I'm like, no. <laughs> um, so I would have been a poor astronaut, but I remember this happening. So that was what interested me greatly to start watching it. But what kept me interested was it's really well made. So the quality mm-hmm. is out there. They've got amazing footage in this, like from a, a wonderful amount of sources. But I think the real piece de resistance is the access to people they're spoken to. The amount of people involved in the actual incident who are still alive is amazing. Like most of the people, the key players seem to still be alive, most. Um, And 
most of them, if not all of the important people, have agreed to talk to the filmmakers. Cool. And so not just people who were like, like obviously there's the guy who was the um, the engineer who said this is going to, one of these things is going to explode one day, don't launch. Mm. Uh, he worked for Thiokol, which was a contractor. He's been on TV for the last 30 years going, I told them, I told them, I told them. So he's a pretty well-known face and name if you've seen that kind of thing before. Mm. But the, there are people, in the, the people who made the call to launch, the people who overruled the engineers and said launch, the people who knew about the risks and launched, wow. uh, interviewed in the show. Um, and I'm like, whoa, I guess the dude, that's the, you're the dude who said go. And wow. I'm like, why is he talking to them? I mean, that's like, you know, traditionally you would say it, it, this show doesn't make them look good, mm. right? The show is saying they kill people. Yeah. Uh, normally they wouldn't talk to the filmmakers if they've done something like that. Normally they'd be fairly, you know, standoffish and, you know, media shy, but they talk to the actual filmmakers about this, about their decision. And what is stunning um, is they actually are still sticking to their positions. Wow. If I, had, if I had my time again, I would make the same decision, one of the guys said. I'm like, how can you possibly say that? I mean, he's sort of saying, what he's saying is if I had the same information in front of me, now, as I did then, I would make the same decision. And, like, that's uh, – yeah. So it, it's it's worth watching for that alone. If it, It's quite a uh, – maybe sort of look up and go, did he just say – wow, okay. Um, do you have any interest in things like the space program? If you have any interest in um, – if you like air crash investigation, it's a little bit similar to that in parts. Um, maybe if you just remember if it's happening like me, it's, it's a really well-made little documentary. I enjoyed it immensely. Cool. Okay. And that's on Netflix. That is on Netflix now. Yes. All four episodes. All right. Nicely done. Nicely done. Um, is it by, so like, do, you, do you know much about the production? Like, is it by um, any other, have they, have they done any other documentaries that you're aware of? Or? Um, it's by two directors here. We've got, um, we have uh, Stephen Leckart and Glenn Zipper. None of these names scream out to me um, mm. as being people I know. Um, yeah, I'm just quickly looking through their, IM, their IMDb um, sort of, uh, you know, credits. Mm. There's um, there's nothing in here that particularly stands out as something that I, I know I've seen before. Okay. Um, uh, Stephen, sorry, uh, Glenn Zipper worked on the series called Mike Judge Presents Tales on the Tour Bus. I think we reviewed that once on the show yeah. before. Which is like it's a weird one where he interviews musicians, but the whole thing is animated. Yeah. So true. they shoot interviews and then animate the. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I like it. Hmm. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm not particularly familiar with a lot of their their work as directors. So maybe they're <clears> fairly <throat> new to the game. But um, I think they're on the right track because this was this was good stuff. Now, going completely changing topic. Um, my last thing that I'll have just a few things to say about, not too much, is the latest instalment in the Bad Boys for um, franchise, Bad Boys for Life. Now, I'm sure that everyone is aware of what the Bad Boys movies are. They are Will Smith and Martin Lawrence cruising around Florida, blowing it up, not giving a damn about um, sort of like uh, collateral damage and having a very, very, very loose story pulling them along on this journey, usually involving some kind of comedy about Martin Lawrence being essentially 
this generation's I'm too old for this shit. Um, Bad Boys for Life is one of those movies that has been in soft soft development for a long time. Um, they got Michael Bay back to produce and have a brief cameo, um, but they got two new directors. Um, they got Adil El Ar uh, Ar Arbi and Bilal Falal. Um, Falal, sorry. Uh, they go just by Adil and Bilal. They have an interesting directing style. It's aesthetic is very Michael Bay, but there's a little bit more creativity behind the camera, which is kind of nice. And apparently people liked it enough that they've greenlit Bad Boys 4, 5, and 6. And <laughs> the top four, they are down to direct. Yeah, when when, uh, when when are people going to realize just one at a time? It's fine, one at a time. Unless you're uh, fucking Kevin Feige, you're probably not going to be able to organize it well enough. But anyway, they do bring a certain level of freshness to the direction of it, which is quite nice. And they do bring in, um, it's nice to have, I don't know whether it's just me um, putting it on it, but it felt a little bit different to your typical Hollywood action movie. It didn't feel like your typical Michael Bay. There's aesthetically all of the, the beautiful girls and the sports cars and all of that stuff, the, the kind of Hollywood pantomime version of Miami. Um, it's it's all there it's all present but they do some nifty things with the camera sequences the casting is relatively good it's um at least interesting but the story is boring as fuck and so goddamn generic is unbelievable it is really really sad um miami detectives mike lowry and uh marcus burnett must face off against a mother and son pair of drug lords who wreak vengeful havoc on their city Wow. Yeah. And it sounds like a McBain movie. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it kind of is. And there's a twist in it about who the son is. And spoilers for anyone who cares. It's Will Smith's son. Uh, and it's like it all ties back to that. And it's so painfully derivative as a story. And no one particularly does a bad bad work in this. Like Martin Lawrence is annoying as he always is, but it's fine. Will Smith is generally charming as he usually is. He's a bit of a dick in this, but eh. Uh, Vanessa Hudgens is in it. I didn't recognize her at all. Um, there's there's a lot. This is like if they got. Like a TV version of um, Miami Vice put money, put more money into it and had a little bit of Blade 2 injected into it in the way that it's like, oh, there's a special unit designed to hunt, uh, hunt the main character and they're all badasses. Look at all of them. They've all got cool names and interesting backstories that we're not going to tell you about. <laughs> they kind of do that with this. It's like, okay, they've just introduced a group called Ammo, 
that are the next generation of law enforcement. And it's like, oh, come on, really? You're just going to introduce them like that? And oh, what a surprise. There's beef between the bad boys and their way of doing it and the tech way of this ammo group. Oh, but then the ammo group, all of their training, all of their experience, all of their just general antagonistic nature to bad boys it's suddenly like nah bro we're gonna do it your way motherfuckers because that's how it gets done really really you're just gonna piss it all away just so that you can have a fight sequence okay fine take me on that ride whatever well i mean people who sign up to watch these films they expect certain things yeah and that certain thing is obvious boring and you could get it anywhere but, I, I would have thought that was obvious. I've, yeah. I've never seen any of these. I've never seen any of the Bad Boys films. Bad Boys 1, it was at the time fun because it was fresh and relatively new. Bad Boys 2 is awful. Bad Boys for Life is fine. But they really should have saved the title of Bad Boys for Life for Bad Boys 4. What number for number three have been Requiem? <laughs> <laughs> bad, bad boys requiem bad boys the last bad boy <laughs> no, that's, that's for number six that's for number six uh bad boys revolutions i don't know uh, <laughs> bad boys reloaded that actually would that would work uh, exactly but yeah it's 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 on amazon prime video and so if you've got that if you've got nothing else to watch if you're looking for dumb fun go for this um I reviewed um, uh, Six Underground, which was the the Michael Bay, Ryan Reynolds Netflix movie from much earlier this year. This is better than that um, in so many ways, which doesn't say much. But um, yeah, it's 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 a perfectly good streaming movie for when you are bored out of your fucking brain because you've been stuck indoors all day. I think I'd rather play mario brothers yeah so not everyone has got three and a half thousand games <laughs> the main problem is there are so many games you start playing one you're like cool what's next well you need to make like um essentially a magic eight ball of what game should i play i could uh, there is a list i could just dump it into a random number generator and but it would just be distract me from my real purpose here which is to play battle toads why do you want to go back to Battletoads? I, I, I never played Battletoads before. I just, it's because legend. There's a good reason it's awful. It's legend preceded. Uh, and it was it really wasn't that bad. I mean, I mean there is a level that you basically can't complete. That's one of the many sewer levels. Oh, I played it for about 10 minutes. So yeah. They uh, recently come out with a new Battletoads game for, on the Xbox Game Pass. Um, yes, I heard, and apparently it's not very good. What a uh, surprise! <laughs> well, I mean, they keep in keeping with tradition. <laughs> um, speaking of games, do you want to talk a little bit about the um, Xbox acquisition of Bethesda? Um, look, I mean, it's been done to death. I mean, every man these dogs had their say. I, I, I'd heard they'd been hunt on the hunt for somebody to buy. I mean, they bought Obsidian last year or the year before. Um, they, uh, it was, it was rumors going around that they were looking to buy Warner Brothers games at one point in time. Um, I'd heard whispers that they were even one point EA was maybe 
uh, uh, something they were looking to, to yeah. buy. That seems unlikely because that's so big. Um, but I mean, I am as uh, look. I'm an I'm an Xbox person. I've owned Xboxes in since I think it's the only consoles I've ever owned. I don't think I ever actually owned it. Nintendo, I don't Nintendo a very long time ago, but um, I, I've got an Xbox One. I've never really got into PlayStation. Uh, I have one because I thought I'd try all those games there, really wet their pants over, and I was like, yeah, they're okay. <laughs> um, but uh, so I, I would be theoretically looking to buy a next gen system mm-hmm. I'd be looking to buy would be one of the Xbox series. Mm-hmm. S or Series X, um, but I won't be because there's absolutely no reason to buy one right now. Um, mm-hmm. All the games they're publishing on the new console will be published on the Xbox as well. So, um, but where they suffer, and we you, you, a few maybe a couple of months ago we talked about it when they had that um, they had their press big uh, the press conference thing and they showed their, their showcase. Yeah, yeah. Um, and their showcase was pathetic. Um, you know, there was nothing new or interesting in there, but with, with, with no console sellers, you know. When PlayStation goes out to market and they've got a new Spider-Man game and you've got a war game uh, uh, plus a whole bunch of others, you know, um, the, the Xbox has got, and they're all exclusives to PlayStation, right? And uh, Event Horizon Zero Dawn, Horizon Zero Dawn, was that the other one? But there's a new one of them anyway. Um, Xbox has got nothing. They've got Halo, the new Halo looked like trash, and now it's been delayed by a significant period of time, so it won't be anywhere near at launch. So I think the guys at, at um, Microsoft, if they want to keep staying in the game, have realized that, unfortunately, Sony have raised the bar on this, and exclusives seem to be back where it's at now. So they have no exclusive to speak of for some reason. They don't, um, I don't know why they've let that happen. So, I mean, the fact that they have now, they own Obsidian, they own Bethesda, they own id Software, they own Arcane Studios, mm-hmm. all in their, this acquisition, means does Elder Scrolls 6, do you get that on Game Pass only? Do you okay. get Fallout 5 only on Game Pass? Doom Eternal 2 only on Game Pass? Yeah. Um, what what um, really stands out for me is... Starting this this winter uh, or this uh, Christmas period, EA Play is going to be part of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, and all of those games from Bethesda Studios, all for like fifteen bucks a month. Holy hell, that is one hell of a service, and especially. Yeah, and especially when you're looking at lots of the next gen games are already going to be in you in the US, they're going to be pushing ninety bucks, and you think, whoa, okay, so I could buy two games, and it'll cost me more than a year's supply of all of these other games. That's that's an insane amount, and um, yeah, I'm absolutely with you. There's no launch game for either of the two consoles that has got me champing at the bit to go, I have to have that console straight away. I need to play it. I know a lot of people are that way, though. A lot of people in the PlayStation camp are feeling that way about the games that they're launching with. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It's um, there's, But there's, you know, again, I think all of those games that got announced are also being on the PlayStation 4 because we are in that honeymoon period of, like, 12 months to 18 months where 
most of the big releases are going to be on both systems because the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4 have just got more units out in the wild than the other two will have. And so they want to put where the mass audience is. That's one of the reasons why for so long people were still putting games out on the Nintendo Wii and even still are to this date. It, because there's just so many of them out there, it just covers the cost of production for that particular one. Um, you'll get all the fancy visual upgrades and quicker loads and things like that on the new consoles, which is which is great. But otherwise, if you are someone who is gaming on a budget, why invest? Why spend six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars on a new system when there's not really going to be any console exclusive games? to those specific next-gen consoles. Like, um, the next Assassin's Creed looks great, but again, it's coming out on the current consoles. Um, Cyberpunk looks great on the uh, all the, the software that we've seen. It's, they've been saying, oh, running on PlayStation 4, running on Xbox One. Great. Cool. I'll play that on my Xbox One. There's... I, I don't know. Well, it's... it's you're right. Um, uh, I... Like I said, I I have I I'm not gaming on a budget. I am not gaming on a budget. <laughs> um, but I um don't just don't need to buy one. Like I mean, I just like there's nothing come. It's literally I can't, it's actually a very strange choice by Microsoft. It's a very pro consumer choice by Microsoft, which is their space. They own that space now. It's pro consumer. Yeah. Um, PlayStation have just completely left the field there. I don't care. They're going to yeah. try and get by on their exclusives, um, and it's going to be. It's that's really because it's kind of changing the the battlefield for this this generation. In the sense that PlayStation's going to go out uh, to we'll go battle on. We have the best exclusive games, whereas Xbox is going to go. We have the most pro consumer. We have the best value mm-hmm. for money, significantly yeah. better value than any PlayStation Network. It, it doesn't even their thing a bit of a PlayStation version of Game Pass. Don't even think it's even available in Australia. No, not yet. So and even um, then, it's um, they're they're saying oh backwards compatible with ninety nine percent of PlayStation Four games. So, okay, cool. The but what about all the other games? What, why and if they if they aren't doing backwards compatibility, then they need to release PlayStation Now worldwide so that everyone can do that stuff can do that service but they just not for whatever reason but yeah it's it's really it's i really like the fact that there is differentiation between the the consoles in that style like playstation as you say it's on that it's exclusives it's kind of boutique um high-end shopping of games you know they've got that high budget they look like high profile animated movies They've got that production value to them. Um, not necessarily my cup of tea, but you cannot deny how amazing they look and the mass amount of people that love them. They're clearly great games. They're just not for me. Whereas Xbox is going to be so such good value. I mean, over here, um, Telstra are doing $45 a month to get the console as well as Game Pass Ultimate, which is... It- undeniably brilliant value and now to come back to your original back around if it eventuates that you know moving forward 
if you would you would think straight away in the next couple of months all of Bethesda's back catalog will be on Game Pass if it's not there already, which I don't think it is. So all the Fallout games, all the Doom games, Quake, mm-hmm. you know, Rage, you know, yeah, all that stuff is going to be on Game Pass, which just adds more value for money because these are some very good games in there. Mm-hmm. Um, then moving forward. Like I said at the start, does that mean in 2032 when Elder Scrolls Six is finished, um, <laughs> you know, do you, that is that only on? Yeah, you know, let's say two years from now, because you kind of want to get a wriggle on. It's been in ten years almost now since yeah. Skyrim. Yeah. So you know, let's say in the next couple of years within this console generation, if you want to play Elder Scrolls Six, mm-hmm. sorry, PlayStation people, yeah. Uh, you're going to need to play it on PC or Xbox. Yeah. And if you're on Xbox, you know, all of a sudden, day one, it's on Game Pass with you. That's it, yeah. What's what's going to be interesting for a lot of these games as well, especially with the last couple of years of Bethesda where so much of their kind of great quality extra stuff has been coming as DLC. Like you look at Elder Scrolls Online and all of the stuff around that, if that comes to Game Pass as well, oh, that's a lot of content for just one game there. But then you've also got Fallout 76 with all of those updates and additions. You've got all of the DLC content for, for Doom, for Wolfenstein, for all of those things. If that's just all readily available when it comes out, it's on Game Pass. Just even if they don't make those games exclusive, it's so much cheaper to play them on Exactly. Even if they do let PlayStation have it, right? If yeah. it's available day one on Game Pass, yeah, that's going to get a lot of people to start thinking. Wow, I do like the Spider-Man games, but geez, yeah, you know, if I want to play Starfield, Elder Scrolls Six, whatever yeah. comes next, whatever comes next for Fallout, whatever comes next comes next for Quake, yeah, they're all day one available on Game Pass. Yeah. You're right; they're going to be ninety dollars games, yeah, in the US. It, yeah. it certainly starts to, it's, it certainly starts to, you know, yeah. ask questions in people's minds about, well, you know, is it worth at least buying an Xbox so you can do that, right? I mean, yeah. you know, depending on how many games you buy, it's not to pay for itself eventually. Yeah, and that's that's it. You There's legitimate reasons why you could have all three consoles because Xbox, if you just want to be able to dip into any game that is out, any big game, any of the small indie stuff, it's going to make its way onto there. <clears throat> and you've got this huge catalogue of games to be able to play. If you want to play those more kind of blockbuster-style games, then PlayStation is kind of your go-to place for, for all of the stuff that's coming out. And if you love JRPGs, PlayStation is still one of the very best places to go. They announced Final Fantasy sixteen. Um, which is crazy that they're already doing that. It feels like Final Fantasy XV took 20 years of its own. Um, but if you want to play those kind of like big-budget blockbuster games, you're kind of going to go there because at the moment you're not really getting those exclusive big bu- uh, big blockbuster games from Xbox Studios. They're coming, I'm sure, but certainly not in the next couple of years. And then if you want something which is just fun for that, um, a couch co-op or just being able to take it wherever the fuck you want, the Switch. Yeah. Um, so it's, you've got three very different value propositions now across yeah. the three 
main uh, candidates um, um, of, um, of, of consoles. And the other thing we haven't even talked about here is, is Xbox Cloud, Game Cloud. Yeah. Which is coming to Australia soon. But it's still not on Apple. <laughs> well, fuck Apple, really? I mean, you know, if you're stupid enough to buy an iPhone, then your problem, really, because they suck. Shut up, you. <laughs> uh, the, 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 um, the lawsuit between Apple and uh, Epic Games right now is fascinating. Yeah. It actually yeah, raises some interesting questions, right? Like Apple sound a fuckload like they're a, 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 comp- a monopoly. You want to sell your product, you sell it our way and we take our cut. That's very anti-competitive. I'd like to see them lose. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we're not going to get in that rabbit hole because I'm not a fucking lawyer. Uh, <laughs> if I was, you think I would be doing this for free. <laughs> this is purely your cover. And then my secret identity. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, I think that brings us to the end of our show. A little meatier than last week because, uh, you know, we had shit to talk about this week. Um, next week, we are going to be talking about Death Machine, era <laughs> of YouTube. <laughs> I, I think I've already picked out where we're going to go next after that. I, I would say the, the main choice is, like, I saw this. I, it, it was a chain, and mm-hmm. I saw Brad DeRiff, and I thought... George is going to take us somewhere great with Brad DeRiff in the world of scary horror films. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know if it's a Brad DeRiff film, but he has plenty of places to take us. I've got, I've got some ideas, but uh, that'll be our chain movie for next time. Uh, we talked about our early thoughts on The Boys season two, Challenger, The Final Flight on uh, Netflix, Bad Boys on Amazon, and we touched a little bit just then on the state of the next generation consoles. But um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, interests, please sound off in the things below and we will see you next time. Good night. Good night.